This is the Saxo Market Call, daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Thursday, 12th of January, 2023, and it is U.S. CPI Day. We'll be discussing the reaction function around that after, for example, last month we saw crazy volatility. We saw a soft number. The market reacted to that. Treasuries down, uh, equities up sharply, and then all of that unwinding. In the case of equities, within minutes and, and to an hour, and in the case of bonds, so we saw yields uh, bottoming out. Of course, that was in the context of an FOMC meeting coming up in the, in the following couple of days, but still. Uh, I think it's a bit difficult with this uh, reaction function, given how much is priced in. We'll also talk about that. But it feels like, uh, Peter, certainly looking at yesterday's equity market performance, that the market is really gunning for higher levels here and is uh, seeing no evil in this CPI release that's upcoming. No, exactly. You can see it from the theme baskets. It's uh, a lot of the growth and, and high duration themes are really doing well. And you can see in the forward estimates for uh, for earnings in the S and P five hundred, we have a ten percent expectation for this year. So, it, to me, it, it very much feels like a market that is setting itself up for uh, for hopes of inflation rolling over, settling at, at much much lower levels. Um, I know we'll uh, we'll talk about the inflation swaps. Um, I think that's really a good anger for the mindset in the market. We're really just hoping for that scenario. Um, but then we also haven't priced in a recession at all, uh, at least not in the equity market. Uh, we we have you know warning signals in the leading indicators and in the yield curve, but it's definitely not priced into the equity market. So that, I think there's a there's a disconnect there. Um, so I mean the, the the I think the the worst case scenario for equities I've been thinking about it is is this that you know we get a rollover in the in inflation numbers. We see a short term momentum here in equities. Everyone is just jumping on this uh, this bandwagon, and then as we uh, we and we avoid a recession in the U.S. and Europe bounces back, China does successfully a, a reopening and and kicks into gear, and then I think we'll we'll have inflation. Uh, at a floor that is much higher than what the inflation swaps are pricing, and then we'll have a big aha moment later this year, and that then it could really get ugly, I think. Yeah, and you've got this uh, that Atlanta Fed um, keeps a number of data series. One of those, the median wage growth, which uh, looks at at a slightly different place from where we've seen some of the average hourly earnings figures. They're at six plus percent still, with the average hourly earnings poking down towards uh, well below five. Uh, some of the latter could be on if if the payrolls that are growing are at the sort of lower paying jobs and the average can decline even if the median is uh, overall increasing. But the sticky inflation and interesting data series, it's, it's those prices that tend to not uh, tend to not to sort of, I guess, jump around very much month to month, showing the really the highest levels. Uh, if I look at this chart since uh, since around the early 80s, of course, that's where we are with, with all inflation measures, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Atlanta Fed, I think, is doing a very good job at coming up with all these interesting time series, also on the the labor market and and wage and you know what's the wage growth of those as that you know shift jobs, switch jobs, etc. And they have this core sticky uh, time series. I think I find it interesting. Of course, it's it's focusing on those items that doesn't really, as you say, John, jump around. So it's um it rents equivalents. It's um <clears throat> it's it's things. To, tied to the services sector. That's also the CPI index that I'm looking at right now, the US services sector, excluding energy as a core measure of sort of the real the real bulk of the uh, the economy. How is inflation really progressing there? So I think this is just sending the signal that yes, we are we have celebrated in the 
past couple of months CPI print, but I I, I think this is still a, a canary in the coal mine to say the least for those that are hoping and praying that uh, inflation is 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 will be over by this year. Yeah, and let's jump ahead to your slide Ola, that you put in there on slide five. Some of the major asset managers, uh, especially the BlackRock, warning against these very op- optimistic inflation expectations. We've we've talked about this that these inflation expectations, even if you're out one year, if you're out ten years. They're very low, I and mean, in some cases below two and a half percent. I think, believe it is, or even lower for the longer term inflation expectations. Yeah, indeed, and uh, it, it's it's really one of our main reasons for uh, for being bullish uh, gold in uh, in in twenty three. We've obviously seen a strong start to the year in gold, and uh, yesterday I just put out a note just highlighting the ri- the short term risk of a of a correction. We're trading near the higher end of its its current trading range, and uh, it could it could easily see a retracement down to the eighteen thirty level without changing the. The, the bullish setup, but what we're looking for here is, as as Peter also said, is 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 a change in the in the uh, in the long term infl- inflation expectations, and that would basically see break even yields start to move higher, um, and that would bring uh, re- real yields uh, lower, and that's really what I'm just hi- trying to highlight there that we we had this disconnect uh, throughout last year where, with central banks being strong buyers, thereby offsetting the negative impact of rising real yields. But what happens if really it starts to uh, to slow down and starts to reverse and and move lower again? Uh, if if the inflation outlook uh, starts to play up as uh, play play up as as we believe it, it will it will eventually. Yeah, now let's go over to the FX market because it feels like with the market really aggressively gunning higher, assuming we're gonna get a benign inflation print today, we have the Fed price to two more twenty five basis point increases. Uh, part of that sort of soft landing that the market is clearly pricing. If it was not pricing a soft landing, then those uh, that slowing down in rate uh, hikes and the eventual and the pricing of eventual rate cuts would be because the market is is fearing a harder landing and then you'd be fearing the recession scenario and the impact of that on earnings etc. That's not what we're getting. We're getting a very soft landing scenario. So the inflation data seemed to be benign here for now, whereas the ECB has made quite a fuss about its uh, forward guidance and and building up the hawkishness around that. Uh, so we've we've seen the euro responding to that. We've got it uh, above, well above 107. It posted marginal new highs yesterday. I think some of that driven by euro Swiss flows. And you can see that chart on slide four. Pull up a euro Swiss chart. Just finally gunning out of that range where it was just bottled up really uh, for for a long period of time there below parity below or around 99 to 99.50 was the high of the range before. A big day yesterday. I, I did not see any particular news item. I do think it was flow based and, and buy stop based. And, and, you know, fundamentally based, really, but those fundamentals, uh, you could say, have been there in the background for some time. We have some of the inflation levels coming off. The Swiss uh, National Bank doesn't need to be as hawkish as it was previously because these inflationary pressures are uh, receding at the moment. So they don't have to use FX as uh, a way to drum up uh, credibility on inflation. And certainly they're way behind where the ECB is now on these uh, forward rate spreads. So the Euro- European with the European growth outlook improving on lower energy prices, with the ECB hawkish, with the fiscal impulse uh, pretty solid in, in the coming uh, several quarters for Europe, you've basically got all cylinders firing for Europe. I, only caution I would have here would be one, positioning, uh, and uh, two, uh, if we look at one of the comments, so the ECB is pretty consistently hawkish on, on the interest rate side of things, but there was one comment from Holtzman, I think just reminds us of somewhere out there over the horizon, we're going to be worrying about to what degree the uh, ECB can really do quantitative tightening. He said he was, quote, very cautious on moving too fast with QT. I think that's an interesting uh, signal there, but it's not one the market is particularly concerned about now. Uh, Elsewhere, we also saw the uh, Japanese yen 
uh, stronger overnight. There were a few things driving that. And this was after it was curiously uh, weak, I think, yesterday. But I guess the risk sentiment being so positive was playing against the yen's favor. But generally, with that type of yield drop we saw yesterday, we saw a very strong U.S. Treasury, uh, 10-year Treasury auction yesterday. You would have thought the Japanese yen would do better. But overnight, we're getting a Bank of Japan report talking about it was four or five of the nine regions uh, seeing pretty solid uh, upgrades to their economic outlook. Reports of wage uh, pressures rising. Uh, and then there was also a report, a preliminary report from the Ministry of Finance <clears throat> indicating that there was record selling of foreign bonds last month. So that kind of flow is very yen positive. Uh, traditionally, the yen has moved a heck of a lot uh, up and down based on capital flows because of the legendary uh, Japanese saver and their uh, savings sort of sloshing around the world. Uh, we do have a Bank of Japan policy meeting next week, and there's also some noise around potential shifts, uh, further shifts there as the time under Kuroda draws to a close. So a little bit of uh, you know news moving and shaking in the currency market. And of course, the dollar uh, level here is, uh, the dollar is quite weak, sort of still within range in most cases, but sort of poised here at key levels in a number of uh, pairs. So it does look like it's very pivotal. This is a sell the fact moment, or sorry, buy the fact moment, uh, sell the fact for equities on CPI. If we get a hotter print or even if we get an inline print, I don't know, but it does look quite pivotal technically across the board for a number of, of key instruments. All right. Uh, Ola, I see you've got a couple of thoughts on some of the markets that we don't uh, often see here on the market call. So let's uh, talk through those. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's start with the the grain sector on slide six. We um, we've basically seen the grain sector as a whole trades uh, range bound now for for the past six months. Um, we are uh, we got opposing uh, data coming out. Basically, ample supplies coming out of the Black Sea areas uh, are suppressing wheat. Uh, at the same time, U.S. Uh, supplies struggling to compete with the uh, with the South American uh, sellers of corn and soybeans. And at the same time, also, we have a drought in, in Argentina that we need to keep an eye on. But we got the monthly WASTI report, World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimate, on tap today. And I will be focused on, on stock levels. And I just put in some of the expectations there. And as you can see, the the uh, the, the, the world-ending uh, stocks are, um, is expected to show a small uh, reduction in corn and soybeans. But the, the quarterly stocks as well, uh, some of these reductions are relatively to, to last year's is really uh, – is is pinning uh, some like corn at a nine year low and wheat at at a fifteen year low and soybeans at a two year low. So so it's not as if we are we are we are swimming around in in stocks uh, globally. So um so keep an eye on these numbers. They could potentially be be market movers. And if I should just continue, John, uh, just uh, put in the uh, coffee slide chart, which we haven't talked about for a while either. We we love to drink it, but uh, and the uh, price has been coming uh, has increasingly cheapened up in in recent months, and and now we start the year with uh, coffee actually chasing uh, chasing after gas being uh, natural gas as being the, one of the worst performing commodities. It's down fourteen percent this month. Several reasons for that. Uh, just looking at the chart, you can see the technical setup. We had a bit of a bull. Uh, a small bull flag trying to a bear flag trying to emerging uh, uh, during the past few months and that has now been broken to the downside at the same time uh, the brazilian crop for this year has been uh, been revised higher so there's some uh, more supply coming on that front and at the same time stocks has started to build from those uh, multi uh, multi decade loads that we we saw at the end of uh, end of last year so uh, all just adding to some uh, some selling pressure into the to the coffee market at the moment which is one of the future, a few futures markets where the markets, uh, where hedge funds are trading it from the short basis. So we have deflation, deflation in the coffee market while we're talking <laughs> inflation here. 
All right, let's uh, let's roll forward to the next one, the stocks to watch today. A couple of interesting stories, Peter. This TSM, TSMC story continues. I think I saw a couple of headlines this morning that they're looking at uh, building a, a factory. Uh, we, the huge factories being built or huge investments for factories to be built in the U.S., but one to be built in Europe, as far as I understand, for, for semiconductors, for especially for car applications, automotive applications. And even in Japan, they're building factories. The TSMC is building factories all over the world. And it just goes to show you how critical uh, this particular company is with its high-end chips that are so critical for, for so many industries. Yeah, they're also considering their second uh, plant in, in Japan. And it, I think it underscores what the U.S. chips like that was passed in Congress last year has done to the semiconductor market. <clears throat> a huge amount of incentives and uh, credits also from the European side. And uh, I think the TSMC has, is fully uh, aligned with where the things are going. And of course, that's the big move around from TSMC in the terms of their manufacturing footprint, I think, tells you why. Why did Taiwan, the Taiwanese government, actually try to create all these tax uh, tax credits? They're of course looking at this and 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 seeing their key industry not moving away from from Taiwan anytime soon. But it is, uh, it will see a lower market share for sure in in in, in global manufacturing. Uh, they they beat TSMC. They beat on the Q4 on net income. They had a better than expected uh, growth margin. That will be under pressure for next year, as I say, and revenue growth is also expected to slow down. They are planning to uh, mass produce uh, their two nanomillimeter uh, chips by 2025, and they have also increased their uh, capacity for the 28 nanomillimeter in China. That's again part of the things that is the uh, the model for the U.S. that uh, you you can keep your uh, you can keep your exposure and selling into mainland China, but it has to be the uh, the higher the high nanometer, uh, nanometer stuff like the 28, um, because if you as you go far further and further lower, the chips gets more and more advanced and can be used in military application, etc. That's the whole idea behind the U.S. Chips Act. And two other stocks to watch quickly: fast retailing, the parent company of Uniqlo, the uh, the fast fashion retailer in Japan. They have around half of their business outside Japan. They they miss pretty big on their operating income side. They're maintaining their outlook on sales and earnings, and that's despite this 40% uh, pay raise for their retail workers that they indicated the other day. I don't know whether really they can keep or why they why they can maintain the outlook given uh, given those uh, pay rates, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that, how that goes this year. And then KB Home, another U.S. home builder, had some pretty ugly numbers, to say the least. Uh, new orders down 80% compared to a year ago. Earnings missed by 15%. The revenue outlook for the current fiscal year was between 5 and $6 billion, uh, with the midpoint being 10% below the consensus at $6 billion. And yeah, if you, uh, I think if, if, you don't get a, if you don't get a significantly easy, uh, you know, easy or a rollover in the mortgage rate, I think maybe even their estimates are a tad too optimistic. It could be, could be far worse. Uh, I think they, they, they're hoping that the, it, it, it won't be too bad, but it's also a pretty big range, a uh, billion dollars in sales. It tells you how unpredictable these markets are for home builders. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's also unpredictable. You can't do a one-to-one with uh, what's going on in the housing uh, activity versus what the equities are doing. I pulled up a KB Home chart, and I don't know if that data point came out after uh, the close, but it's on quite a rise recently. I suspect a lot of this is around the complacency for forward rates. I'm looking at another home builder, uh, close to a uh, 52-week high as well. Uh, just very interesting 
uh, looking at that from a just just a little bit a little bit of easing here on the uh, long rate, despite mortgage rates still being very very high relative to where where they were a couple of years ago, um, and and these uh, housing stocks doing quite well. So very interesting signal there. And then we have earnings watch finally getting rolling here tomorrow with the big banks reporting. What are you watching besides what we've already discussed uh, in previous podcasts this week? <laughs> I'm not watching anything else that I didn't already say, John, a couple okay. of times, but uh, but I. <laughs> I tried to come up with a with a different chart just to get a, again different color on the same topic, because I said that the expectation was that earnings will would be down year and year and year, and then we would resume to growth uh, this year. But what does that growth profile look like? And the consensus estimate is uh, estimates for earnings are the light blue bars that you can see here on slide nine, and uh, you can see that there will be a jump quarter and quarter in the first quarter, and then consensus is actually expecting earnings to be uh, to be coming down quarter and quarter for the entire year i don't know i don't know john uh, i'm obviously not a, a banking analyst and i'm not looking at these numbers but given the credit cycle we showed yesterday and the interest rate level and the constant rollover and refinancing if we avoid a recession uh, or we even get as just a shallow one and we have nominal gdp growth at nine percent in the in the u.s in q3 I don't know. I it, it feel a little bit too. It feels a little bit too uh, pessimistic for for my taste on on banks. But um, yeah, yeah. I said I'm not a banking. I'm not a banking expert. But I, it seems to be a little bit tad too pessimistic. Yeah, there was one <clears throat> data point. I'll try to put this in the podcast tomorrow. Actually, uh, we'll discuss it with consumer credit, and especially revolving credit, which is revolving uh, relates to credit card usage, and that has really accelerated in recent months. And a couple of past episodes have shown that this tends to be a a late cycle phenomenon, one of these late cycle phenomena that's a bit hard to use, uh, to say the least, timing wise, but it could suggest that people are uh, reaching for credit to maintain their spending levels. There was a similar acceleration. I went back to 2007 um, and there was a big acceleration in use of credit cards in August. If we recall, Q4 was the recession beginning, uh, the recession start back then. And that acceleration continued all the way through January of 2008. So even as we were clearly collapsing into a, a pretty significant uh, credit event and, and liquidity event and eventual recession that only became clear as 2008 was, was fully into view, that was just an interesting uh, indicator there. So uh, these things lead and lag. And, and the question is, what is what is lagging? And, and some of that might be lagging. I don't know, but it's uh, certainly one of those variables to track. Um, now let's go forward to the macro slide. I only want to focus on one thing, uh, and that is the CPI today and where we are versus for consensus expectations versus what the market actually delivers and where we were last month. So it's it's pretty hard to beat on the downside given where we are on these year and year levels at least. Uh, plus zero point three percent for the core ex food and energy number is expected, and plus five point seven percent for the ex uh, for the year on year. That's a drop from 6% uh, the prior month. So pretty, you know, it'd have to beat quite quite a bit to, or, or fall quite a bit to beat that low, already low expectation. Similarly for the headline, minus 0.1% expected for the headline month on month and 6.5% on the year on year, all the way down from 7.1% in the November numbers. So there are your numbers. Let's recall again, I've already said this yesterday. Let's recall what happened last time. We, we missed on the downside, uh, softer than expected by... 0.1% on, I think it was every single measure. Market pumps like crazy and then it dumped. Uh, so yeah, what's the reaction function? I think it's most clearly a, a test for where the market is right here if it's if it's hotter than expected, but we have no way of knowing whether these uh, data points will prove 
uh, hotter than expected. So that would be the most interesting test, uh, if you will. In any case, does feel like we're pretty pivotal here technically across a number of assets. The 10-year U.S. Treasury yield at 3.5% area and the nominal lows around 3.4%. The S&P 500 in that 4,000 to 4,030 area and the U.S. dollar sort of resting on support uh, in a number of key pairs, uh, euro dollar, Aussie dollar, et cetera. So I think it does look like a pivotal uh, release today for at least testing market sentiment almost across the board. We'll see what the uh, data actually delivers today. And uh, of course, we'll be back tomorrow to take a look at things with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>